The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. We hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's, and my guest today is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, just back from vacation. Thanks for joining us to learn more about stocks in the news and what's ahead for the markets. And welcome back, Ben. Thanks, Lauren. So stocks are heading higher today, but I suppose that's not saying much given Friday shellacking. It was the worst day of the year for the Dow, which lost more than 900 points or 2% on news of a new COVID variant, Omicron, discovered in South Africa. We don't know much about the variant yet, except that it has about 50 mutations and it seems to spread the disease quickly. But even a little news was enough to send the S&P 500 down more than 2% and the NASDAQ fell 3.5% on Friday. Ben, the market hasn't seen a sell-off like that in a long time. And I think everybody wants to know, is this a buying opportunity? What's your view? Well, I think it uh, it depends on what you view as a buying opportunity. Um, is this like the, uh, you know, for people who are worried whether this means the end of the bull market, I think we can put that aside. It, it's not that kind of thing. But it also wasn't, it was a huge one-day drop, right? Or, or big one, I shouldn't say huge. It was a very large one-day drop, um, the biggest in a long time. But it also, in the grand scheme, wasn't that big a move. Um, it was also, so, we should note, a a half day for stocks because of the Thanksgiving holiday. So trading activity was light. Trading activity was very light. And I mean, it's, uh, it's what always makes the day after Thanksgiving so much fun is that it is a half day. Um, and nobody comes in, nobody trades. Um, and so the few people that are around, I mean, the, the stocks are really moving because there's just not a lot of, of um, there's not a lot of liquidity. And so it gets very volatile. And that's often what happens on, uh, on, on Black Friday. And this year just happened to have some news to really, to really drive it. Um, so I, I, is it one of these things where you go, oh, yes, we just had a 3% drop from the market's high. It's time to jump in with the, you know, all, all hands. I don't think so. Um, but I also think that, you know, we, we make a lot of all these moves because we don't get a lot of uh, big moves in the market. Um, the, the last certainly not a lot of big moves down this year. Right. I mean, we had a, a 5% decline in, um, in September and had everybody talking correction and bear markets and whatnot. And it was, it turned out to be not much of anything. Um, so I, I think that this, um, it, but for anyone who's thinking that right, right now you jump in and we've hit the bottom and market's going to bounce. I mean, I think there's actually probably more, uh, more volatility to go. Um, you know, you, you usually don't get this kind of drop and then um, just see it, you know, the market bottom and go up. There've been other measures which are suggesting that we could have some more short-term volatility, um, some within the, the market breadth, which, um, you know, it, it's been weakening as the market hits new highs. And that could be a sign that we could have a, a, a tougher time, at least in the short term. Um, so uh, my, 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 my main takeaway on all this is like, yeah, we, we've had uh, 
um, some volatility we had to hit, but it's the kind of thing where you want to stay the course. You don't want to look at this as, oh, yeah, now, now is the time for me to jump into the stock market because it's a great buying opportunity, unless, of course, you see that in individual stocks, which uh, there, there were many that have moved quite a bit. But nor do you want to dump everything and get out for fear of future. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that would be uh, just as big a mistake. So the the yield on the 10-year Treasury also fell on Friday. It, it dropped below 1.5%, although it's marginally above that today. Why did that happen? And what is the bond market telling us? I think it was, you know, your typical, um, you know, rush for safety. Um, you know, when the market gets scary, people buy treasuries. Um, and so they, they do, the investors did do what they always do. Um, I think what's notable here is that we're still very much in a range in the, in the tenure um, that, uh, you know, we can't really get above 1.7, can't really drop much below uh, 1.4, bounce around quite a bit. Um, and uh, we'll have to watch to see how that plays out. But we're certainly not getting the kind of, uh, I don't think we've had enough meaningful action yet. We've had just a lot of volatility within the um, Within, within the treasury market, um, which, which is also to be expected, um, given that uh, um, the Fed is going to start reducing the amount of buying they're doing. And it's the kind of thing that uh, this should add volatility. And then you throw one of these events into into the market and you get some moves going. Um, but for right now, we are still range bound. And uh, until the range really breaks, um, I'm not getting too concerned about big moves one way or, or the other because they really haven't seemed to, uh, you know, it, it, people get excited like, oh, it's going to, the yields going to start heading down a lot now. And then as soon as they start feeling that way, heads the other direction and vice versa. Does the movement in the yield suggest anything about when the Fed might begin to raise interest rates? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, we're, we're there. There was a lot of talk uh, before this coming out, uh, before the Omicron uh, news came out, that uh, you know the Fed was going to have to raise rates uh, to maybe three times in 2022. I think there people are still thinking that. Um, you know, if uh, the the new variant meaningfully slows down the economy, um, you know, forces. Uh, um, lockdowns, uh, not even in the United States, but it forces lockdowns overseas that uh, uh, creates problems here. Maybe it causes the Fed to um, slow down a little bit. Um, but, I, but I think for the time being, the market is just, uh, you know, adapting and uh, sees the Fed stay in the course. So I haven't talked to you since President Biden renominated Jay Powell for a second term as chair of the Fed. What is your take on that? Um, I, I think it was... Uh, the smart move, actually. Um, you know, Biden has a lot of big battles on his hands. Um, Powell, uh, it, for the most part, is um, not really controversial, um, despite what some people might say. Um, he's, uh, you know, not tr trying to, you know, he, he's not acting too quickly to um, fight to inflation, but he's, he's aware of it. Um, and so that's probably the right stance. That's probably as far, or let me put it this way, it's probably as easy you can get on monetary policy given where inflation is right now. And so I think uh, you almost had to go with Powell again because pointing a brainer and when you get concerns, it'll be even easier. And then you can really get inflation expectations coming unhinged. Um, and that was something that uh, Biden certainly doesn't want. So I, I think given the inflation situation, 
um, how the economy is doing, which it looks like it's rebounding um, here in the, in the fourth quarter. And also just the, uh, you know, we didn't know about Omicron, but uh, look, you know, now that, that uh, we have that on the map, you know, it's just, staying the course is probably the right thing to do. Steady hand on the tiller there. That's right. So before we leave the macro news, I wanted to get your take on stay-at-home stocks versus back-to-work and reopening economy stocks. The stay-at-home stocks had a great day on Friday. You think it's going to last? It it isn't. Um, Today has been a pretty bad day for them. Um, And it actually wasn't as good a day as it looked like uh, on Friday for many of them. Um, you know, with, I think a good example is uh, Zoom Zoom Video Communications. The stock opened way up, but closed uh, on the day at its low of the day. It was still up on the day, but, uh, you know, people used it as uh, a chance to sell. And you saw that play out, though not to quite that extreme in other stay-at-home names like, like Peloton. Um, and so if you look today, um, you're seeing that those gains have, have really disappeared. Um, with I think Zoom was down around 5%, Peloton was down 4% or so. Um, and so I think that the, the market there is seeing, is, is looking at the stay-at-home names. I think Clorox was also down uh, a couple percent and saying, you know what, we're not going back to a lockdown here in the United States. Um, right. That would be the current read. Yeah, that, that's what it seems like they're saying. The, the one thing that is continuing to do well are stocks like Moderna um, that, uh, you know, got a big bounce on, on Friday. Um, it's getting a, another bounce today. Um, it had been really beaten up um, in, in recent weeks um, over, you know, concerns around its, its manufacturing, uh, what comes next uh, for it, and also just how Pfizer and BioNTech really seem to be owning the uh, COVID vaccine market. Um, but I think with uh, Omicron coming on to the scene, you basically end up um, with people thinking, you know what, we're going to need companies like Moderna going forward and to treat them as just something that, okay, COVID is going away, we don't need you anymore is probably short-sighted. So given the the hit it's taken recently, I, I think it makes sense that uh, stocks like Moderna are going up. COVID is definitely not going away. We need companies like Moderna to get us vaccinated against various variants. So that's a good observation. I want to move on to this week's earnings news. Before I do, I'd like to remind listeners we'll take questions at the end of the call. So please send us your questions about the market or stocks. We'd be happy to answer them. Let's start with the Chinese automaker, Li Auto. This is an electric vehicle stock. Everybody is following the news in the EV market where there have been some, excuse me, some spectacular winners and um, some also rants. What's the story with Li and what does it tell us about the state of the market? Well, Li had a great quarter. Um, there's there's no way, other way to put it. Um, it reported a uh, earnings of three cents a share when it was supposed to lose three cents a share. Um, and its sales also came in above expectations. Um, so the stock was up about 7%. Um, what I find interesting is that, you know, the, we used to look at all the EV stocks and see them move as a group. Um, and they're not doing that anymore. Um, this morning's you also had, uh, you had XPeng was up 1%, but you had Neo down 5, uh, 0.5%. Um, and these these companies are all kind of, I think what we're seeing in China is what we're going to see around the world is where you do have multiple companies battling for market share, 
um, in, in the country, and some do better, some do worse. They, they're, they're, they're really, um, they're, it's, it's really competition, um, the, the kind of competition you should be seeing. Um, and that's, that's quite different what we have in, in the U.S. right now, where it's still really Tesla and not much of everyone else. So that that is changing rapidly. Um, and, and so I think that's the main thing here with these Chinese EVs is you have to look at the players and how they're doing and uh, at the individual players and how they're doing. And right now, Lee is doing quite well. Um, you know, it had also not been up uh, quite as much, I think, as some of the others uh, had this year. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was up. Um, 12% on the year, 9.4% in the last three months, but the number was clearly good enough to add to those gains. So we should note that Tesla, the benchmark EV stock, is up about 5% today. Another another good day for Tesla. Any news there? Yeah, so it's, uh, there were some reports that it's getting closer to being able to open its uh, German uh, factory. Um, this is something that's been delayed for a while. Everyone's waiting to, to, to see that finally get going, to see cars uh, get produced there. And that probably, I, I think the cars don't happen until 2023, but they just want to get this, or I probably got that date wrong, but they just want to see this German gigafactory going. Um, and so that report, it helped. Um, but I think it's also that um, the stock had had such an incredible run and then started to pull back quite a bit on these reports uh uh, or on Elon Musk selling stock, um, he he took that infamous uh, put up that infamous survey on Twitter, um, asking people if he should sell. Uh, That's right. On principle, I wouldn't answer that survey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you know, and that that really I think put some pressure on the on the on the stock, um, but it seems to have uh, found a bottom at least in the uh, in the short term here. And so you know, it's it's always with Tesla, you get a little bit of news and it moves, and you're not always sure how much the news headline is actually connected to the way the stock is moving. Um, Cause sometimes it just, uh, you know, they're, they're not, uh, they're, they're, it's not cause and effect. It's just, they happen at the same time. It's incredible. Market cap is decently above 1 trillion. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it is amazing though. It is also when I, um, you know, step out, I was a, a Tesla doubter for a long time, but it's hard to look at Tesla now and, and doubt. I mean, it, it single-handedly created an EV market in the United States. Um, and right now it owns that market and the market is it's to lose. Um, and it's going to have a ton of competition um, coming both from new players. Um, I know Al Root has talked about this quite a bit and just the competition for investing dollars from the likes of Rivian. Um, but for the time being, I mean, it, it is the EV market here, um, and it's it's really incredible what uh, what the company has done. Um, and, and you know, part of it was the crazy stock price; it allowed it to fund itself um, relatively uh, easily, and things like that. But now you have this real company that is selling real cars that people really want to buy. And there are quite a few of them on the road; quite a few more than we're used to seeing. Absolutely. So let's move on to the tech sector. This weekend, Barron's featured a positive cover story on IBM. Our colleague Eric Savitz said it's time to pay attention to Big Blue again. And he actually went much further and proclaimed that the company's newish CEO, Arvind Krishna, stands a good chance of transforming IBM into a tech powerhouse in much the way that Satya Nadella did for Microsoft. It's a pretty big call. The stock is up about 2.5% today. And it reminds me that there's a lot of other so-called old tech companies that are reporting earnings this week. 
while none of them are in Microsoft's league, maybe not even in IBM's league, I think they're worth watching and the news could be good for some of them. So let's start with salesforce.com. They'll be reporting tomorrow. What's ahead there? I mean, Salesforce is interesting, partially because it's uh, it's so obviously trying to uh, emulate Microsoft. Um, and who isn't? Right. I mean, it's, if you're going to emulate someone, it's a great company to emulate. Um, you know, they they bought Slack um, a little while ago, and um, that was, uh, I think, frowned upon by the market at the time. But uh, there's some optimism that maybe it really does help it create sort of a Microsoft light um, that can benefit. Right now, though, what um, people really are focusing on are the margins there. Um, the company had... Uh, it really not focused on the operating margins for quite a while. And Evercore's, um, the team over at Evercore were noting that if if Salesforce could convince the market that it's really committed to expanding those operating margins, that it's going to do well and um, that investors will come around to the stock. Um, and so I think that's what people will be looking for. It's, um, you know, it's uh, earnings are, are set to fall. It's supposed to report 92 cents. Um, that was um, would be down from a dollar seventy four um, a year ago, but uh, it, it's um, the the stock has done well despite that. It's up twenty eight percent this year, and it's probably as, as long as those margins come in um, solidly, the stock should do okay. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it is one of these old old, um, old tech stocks that is trying to uh, reinvent itself for for the the present and I guess the future as well, and there is a model for it to follow, and so there's a lot of optimism around it right now. It's a good story. There's also HP Enterprise reporting this week. It's also had a good year, not quite as good as Salesforce, but pretty good. What's the outlook for HP Enterprise? Ticker is HPE. Yeah, this one was uh, created uh, from this uh, as a spinoff from uh, the old Hewlett Packard, um, and there, um, what seems to be in focus is uh, the company is um, starting to expand into services and trying to um, get get make a bigger part of the company uh, of the of the sales for the company coming from that part of the business. And the more it does that, the more that its PE can grow, um, according to a team of analysts over at NKM. And so that's where it will probably, the growth has to come from, is going to be a lot from the PE multiple. Um, people looking at it and saying that, you know what, th this company deserves to be traded at a higher valuation than it is right now. Um, it's expected to uh, report a profit of 49 cents. That would be up from 37 cents. And that's, you know, it's a decent amount of growth there. Um, for the company. And as, um, a lot of these old tech companies, if you noted, have really done okay this year. Um, and HP Enterprise uh, is one of them. And it, and it looks like it should be able to uh, continue that at least for the rest of the year. So Snowflake is yet another company reporting this week. This is not old tech. The company, I think, just came public at the end of last year. It spent most of this year, the stock spent most of this year in the red, but it's had a terrific quarter. This is a cloud-based data platform company. What's the outlook for Snowflake? Well, Evercore, again, uh, looked at some of the other companies that have reported um, and that are in the same kind of business, things like Datadog, and that their numbers were strong and they think that that's going to be good news for, for Snowflake. Um, they, they do worry that uh, the stock has had a 
huge, you know, just the, the size of the move for the company has been big. And that's always something to to worry about when you're heading into um, an, an, an earnings report. I mean, they're up uh, 90% over the last three months. Um, but uh, Evercore is expecting a beat and raise um, from the company. And they, they that means beat your earnings and raise your guidance, right? That's that is right, and so they think that they call it the, one of the most unique growth stories in software, and so I think that's going to be the big thing to watch is when they report, can they beat and raise by enough to justify that gain that they've had over the last three months? But when you look at it, it's twenty nine percent on the year is not it's not a huge gain relative to the market, and so there might be more room there for upside. All right, let's move on and talk about Twitter. This is a stock in the news today. Twitter is up 5% to 49 and change on news that its founder and CEO, Jack Dorsey, is leaving. I don't know about you, Ben, but I'd really hate folks at Barron's to celebrate if we depart someday. <laughs> so why are investors rejoicing about Dorsey's departure? I, I think it's largely because... Um, you know, he's he's the head of two companies. Um, the other both, one's Square. The other one's Square. So it's so he's really, ex, you know, some might say overextended, um, trying to run to a very large. Uh, I think we've said that in Barron's at times. I believe we have uh, tech companies um, that are in very competitive spaces. Um, and his interests also seem to get pulled in, in multiple directions. Um, you know, he has an interest in cryptocurrencies. Um, and so... I mean, he might have said it best when, you know, he, I think in the press release that came out, he said something along the lines that, you know, the company has come far enough that it's it's a good time for the founder to step aside. And, you know, he's probably right about that. And having, you know, people who are just good at running companies um, rather than, you know, these these quote visionary founders, um, it's not always a, a bad thing. Um, you know, it's sometimes you need to um, you need to get it right. I mean, we saw with Microsoft talk about them again, um, that the, the first change wasn't that great going from uh, Bill Gates to Steve Ballmer, but the next change was fantastic. Um, and I, I think there's hope that, uh, you know, a, a new some, you know, a new person leading the company can maybe tackle some of the issues to help generate uh, more revenue uh, and things like that for the company. Well, you have to look at the example of Apple, you know, yeah. where where the successor to Steve Jobs has been terrific. Right. And and in some ways, he's probably the the opposite of what Jobs was. He really was the an operator, not a visionary. Um, right. But he's been great for the company. And it remains to be seen whether the, the new CEO over Twitter can be the same kind of uh, CEO as, uh, as Tim Cook is. Interesting market move today. Yes. Yeah. So it's the season to shop till you drop. We all know that, but it didn't really happen this year. I certainly didn't shop on Friday. I was busy covering the market's meltdown. But <laughs> online sales were down from last year, although although in-store sales were good. What do you think happened? What does it mean for the holiday shopping season? Well, well I think COVID has just upended everything. You know, we knew because of the um, of the shipping delays and the the bottlenecks and whatnot that everyone was told to shop early and I, I suspect many did um, that uh, you know Black Friday this year everybody was starting their sales earlier we were seeing some of these sales start in October um, you know and and given the name Black Friday and so then 
Black Friday comes along and sales weren't as as good as they uh, had been uh, in previous years. And that seems to make a lot of sense to me. Um, th there's also a sense that's um, because of the, the shortages out there that the deals and the discounts weren't as good in previous as in previous years um, that co companies uh, didn't need to or couldn't um, discount the way they had. Um, and so I think that contributed to it as well. But I really just do think that, you know, people have been shopping a lot um, since COVID. Um, they were told to go shop early, and I think they did. And so we see sort of this, the natural reaction to that. It's kind of alarmingly easy to sit home and shop and click buy, and and yep. you don't have to get in the car. You don't have to think too much. No, nope. it's uh, it, it 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 is almost too easy, and and there's so many sales all the time. Um, you know, in in some areas that uh, you can usually get the price you want um, if you just are patient enough. It's hard to know what a retail price is anymore. It's a good point. In certain categories. So Dollar General is reporting this week. This is one of the dollar stores. It's had a meh year, up about 7% yeah. for the stock. What's ahead for earnings? Will things be well, looking up? The tough thing for the dollar stores is it's a couple of things. One is, you know, we're, we're used to having a retail market where there's too much stuff. And, you know, Dollar General gets to sell, sell some of the surpluses at a really low cost. Um, and we don't have those kind of shortages or those kind of surpluses. So they, they really have an inventory problem. They do. And then you also have uh, an inflation issue, um, which makes, uh, you know, when them really, you have, you're left to choice to have to, to, to raise prices. So I just think there's, there are things happening for the, the dollar stores generally. And we saw that in, in Dollar Tree's uh, numbers a bit um, that, you know, that they, they don't really have control over. And also just the shipping costs and things like that are, are, are hitting margins. So, you know, they're uh, they're expected to uh, report a profit of uh, a little over two dollars a share. And it's going to be down a touch. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's going to be, I think, a slog for them. Um, but they are doing a lot of the right things, like they're buying back a lot of shares and, and things like that. To uh, and, and they are raising some prices to to help uh, uh, to, to help make the, the earnings better. And so we'll see what happens. Again, I like out of favor stocks, um, especially ones that are generally well run, which Dollar General is. Um, so I, I, it's it's one where I'd be hopefully uh, I'd be a little bit optimistic on it. So that's sort of the downside of a stock that's disappointed. There are so few that have disappointed this year. It, it is perhaps a bargain itself. So we do have some listener questions, but I want to spend at least a minute talking about the jobs outlook, Ben, since we have payrolls Friday coming. We've also got initial jobless claims on Thursday. We've got a look at the unemployment rate on Friday. What are our expectations? We'll be looking at the November numbers. Uh, it's, I think, more of the same, really. We're supposed to get payrolls that are roughly in line um, with what they were in October. So that puts it about 525. Um, and, you know, the unemployment rate is supposed to tick down just a little bit to 4.5% from 4.6. Um, and uh, but it, they, they continue to be strong numbers. Um, maybe, you know, it, it's but they also, I think, in some ways, um, um are um 
I, I think I think in some ways like they they are misleading. Um, I'm not sure they capture what the job market is right now. You know, there's so much talk from the Fed about not wanting to hike rates until the job market has returned to what it was like before COVID. And um, I'm not sure um, really what uh, that that we're going back to with the job market that we had before COVID. So much has changed um, that uh, that's probably not the right benchmark to use that even with a rate uh, an unemployment rate if even if we get that 4.5 percent um I, I think that uh you know it's still the market is probably tighter than that number suggests um but i also think that in, unless it's a blowout number one way or another um, we also learned that there are revisions to everything that it, it's hard to react too much when those numbers come out that's a good point for sure. So I know you like sentiment surveys and, and surveys in general because they're forward looking as opposed to backward looking. We've got a couple of them coming out next week, consumer confidence index, purchasing index, services index. What's the outlook? You know, it's uh, I think it's all again, it's telling the same story. It's kind of more of the same. ISM services is supposed to rise. Um, ISM manufacturing survey, um, that's supposed to be relatively flat. But these are still at numbers that are incredibly high. Um, you know, normally anything above 50 is means that uh, that it's growing and we're over um, we're in the 60s um, on both of them. And so these are very strong numbers still. Um, it, we're going to get consumer confidence. That's going to tick down. The confidence numbers haven't been great. And there's been worry that between the Michigan sentiment and the consumer confidence numbers that, you know, the, they've had the kind of drops that usually come before recessions. Um, but I think jumping to that kind of conclusion is probably a mistake. Again, COVID has been too weird. It's messed all these things up in a way that I, that I don't think makes it comparable to the way things were before. We still are working through too much stuff. Um, and so you do have people getting jobs or getting raises and they're wrestling with inflation. I'm not sure it's the last time anyone had to do that. Um, and uh, you'll probably have to go back to the, the early 80s. So I think these numbers, you have to watch them. You have to um, look at the direction and look at what people are saying. But I don't think you can make the big conclusions from them that you might have um, three years ago. It's going to be an interesting exercise for economists looking back historically at some of these numbers and how they adjust their thinking in the future, you know, presuming that we are living through what is really an anomaly. Yeah. Or is it, uh, I mean, I, I, I started to think, is it an, is it an anomaly or does it, does this mark the shift into the next kind of 20 year period for the, for the markets and the economy where something new is coming and we still don't know what it is. Um, it, new, new being, of course, uh, relative because history is always repeating in some way. Um, but if it doesn't look like the previous 20 years, what does it look like? Well, I'll take it if it's a good new. <laughs> so not, not a bad one. So let's take a couple of questions. We're running a little bit late, but Satya asks, in the current volatility environment, what's the best bet, growth or value? What's your take on that, Ben? That's a tough one. I've been on the value bandwagon, which was pretty good until uh, just recently, actually. Um, with, uh, um, you know, we have the, the new the new virus and all these things, um, you know, value will do well if the economy is growing. Um, I still think that's the case. I still look at a lot of the growth stocks and think that they are too expensive. But you also look at them and know that they're going to grow no matter what. Um, and 
so um, I, I, I think that um, if you actually look at the market, one of the best things to have done is to sort of be barbelled between the two. Um, you know, if you have growth and you have value, you, um, you're, you're getting that rotation back and forth. And when one is outperforming, you can pair back into the other. So I'm not sure it is actually even an, uh, you know, you have to choose one kind of uh, kind of thing right now. And I know that sounds kind of wishy-washy, but it's sort of how the market has played out because these rotations out of one and into the other and then back again can be very, can be very violent. And if you're on the wrong side, um, it can hurt pretty badly. And they're happening very quickly. Very quickly. So Joseph asks, how can or will Tesla stay ahead of the incoming competition? How can they keep their first mover status? And I think that is sort of the question of the year for the stock and for the company. It, it really is. Um, I mean, I think they do it by just trying to continue to, to get better um, with their cars. Um, they... I think if you, they've gotten better at manufacturing, um, and I think that those are the kind of things that they have to keep getting better at. Um, the, the one advantage that they have over um, certainly the legacy automakers is they have um, better profit margins, and um, if that allows them to have a lower um, cost of, of capital, which it appears that they do, you know, they need to put that money into building even better cars and just uh, staying one step ahead. Um, as much as they can. Um, the other thing is making sure, you know, the infrastructure is there and they've put a lot of money into that. Um, and But it's also um, Musk just, uh, he, he does see, I think, things more broadly than um, just cars. So at some point, are we going to all have a battery, um, um, solar panels on our houses and batteries to store the energy so we don't need to rely on the grid and we can just plug our cars into our, our own uh, battery in the, in the garage? And, and maybe that becomes something that helps Tesla stay ahead. Um, I'm really not sure, but for for now at least, um, you know, it's it, it, he, they they have the cars that the people that people want to own, and um, it, it, I don't see that changing quite yet until we actually see uh, the kind of offerings that Ford and GM and others can come up with that really would make you say, "Wow, I need to own that car." Right. Well, I think we'll have a little warning, little time. Yeah before before we see a change in the players there. So Lee asks both of us, what kind of year do you expect for the Dow in 2022? Do you guys see the market rising again in 2022? Certainly there are some headwinds that the averages would need to fight. And Ben, I'm going to play chicken and let you go first. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, Good friend. I I, I I got this year wrong. I, I was really expecting it to be the year that um, the market had to wrestle with the, with valuations, um, that um, the Fed would have to raise rates, that would hurt valuations, even if earnings were strong, and that the market wouldn't do that. I didn't say it would fall, but I didn't think it would go up that much. And I was clearly wrong. Um, partially, I think, because the Delta variant um, kind of delayed some of the uh, some of the growth and some of the uh, other things that would have allowed uh, the Fed to raise interest rates. Um, and I before Friday, I pr probably would have said, you know what, it, it, 2022 is going to look like I thought it would look in 2021. We'd have to wrestle with rising rates and high valuations. Rising rates usually put pressure on valuations. So even if earnings continue to grow, the market might not go anywhere. But what does a new strain do? I mean, if we get more kind of Delta reactions, does that keep the Fed on hold for longer and allow valuations to stay high? And if earnings grow, you know, you get another great year. But I'm going to 
I'm going to say that's not going to happen. I think we're going to get a relatively flattish year um, for the Dow, where you are going to have this trade-off. Uh, earnings are going to be good. Valuations are going to be pressured by rising rates. And um, it, it's going to be not an awful year, but not a great one. I think that's a pretty good assessment. I want to also add, we have a midterm election next year, and I think the markets are going to be watching that. And if the Republicans seem to be making headway, rightly or wrongly, the markets seem to like that. So maybe we could be a little bit better than a middling year. We'll see. But I think much of it depends on interest rates. And if the Fed does not have to lift rates or chooses not to, we could have a better year. I, I don't see the market really sinking next year. So I guess we're sort of in the same place, Ben. Maybe I'm a little more optimistic. Usually are. <laughs> Am I? Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it there. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I want to thank you, Ben, for your wonderful commentary. Welcome back. And Thanks, Lauren. Please stick around tomorrow, everyone, at Barron's Live. Financial News' Emily Nicole will speak to Adam Bank CEO Mark Mullen about the post-COVID balancing act of work and home and the pros and cons of the four-day work week. Adam, we should note, is the UK's first digital-only bank. Should be an interesting call. Thanks again, everybody. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.